Orange is the New Black, Season 3, Episode 5, is over. And we are just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Leese, and with me today, we have a very, very special episode here to recap everything that happened in Episode 5, as we dissect whether we should call it a pubetropolis or a pube jungle, pube town, pube nest... We'll go through all of those things and much, much more. With me, as always, is my usual co-host, Ms. Taylor Cotter. Hello. And we also have a very, very special guest today. You may know him from the other show that starts with O and ends in black that I actually said we were recapping and had to stop and start over again. Um, but he is here to talk about all things Orange is the New Black with us. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Mike Bloom. I'm, I'm glad that the uh, higher-ups of post-show recaps have sent me in to do to sort of look at this podcast. Uh, I hope you don't mind my new balance shoes. I'm just ready to have a good time, guys. All right. Well, you know, you got to watch the way you're dressed around all of these people, Mike, because you don't want to lord it over us that you get to wear whatever you want whenever you want. That's very true. And it is, uh, I guess, a little ironic that Mike Berbiglia shares both my first name and my last initial. So I think it's it's an apt comparison, I would say. Yeah, I'm gl- I hope you didn't arbitrarily choose us as the podcast that you want to be on. No, no, definitely. I mean, you guys are you guys are my my number ones, right? We're gonna go, <laughs> go we'll go drinking later. We'll have a good time. It's fine. It's totally fine. All right, Bloom Biggs. <laughs> I like that. No, but then that's gonna comp- well. That's that's another comparison because Jason Biggs' former character was named Larry Bloom. So this is like an all sorts of mind F situation going on right now where you're taking my first name from the other actor and the last name from the character. So it's clear that I'm very entrenched in this in this show as it is. Yeah, you're meant to be here. Yeah, well, all right, guys. So there's been some confusion, um, partially on my part, and somebody actually went on YouTube to correct us on this. And you know how I am. I, when somebody corrects us, I feel terrible that I got something wrong. But um, we gotta we got to talk about... Flaka name is who? Maritza. Yes. yes. Flaka, a.k.a. Marisol, is the tall, gothy one. Maritza is the short, spunky one. Oh. I was confused about this until, like, 45 minutes into this episode. Because, so I, I was right. Like, I had my notes all the way through. And then when they're in the kitchen, at the very end, when she goes in to tell Gloria that she took the test, someone says... Flaca also took the test. No, she says Blanca also took the test oh. because Blanca is the one with the unibrow and the crazy hair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, yeah, that, no, so- I, I went to the exact same thing because I did like, okay, I, I wrote Marisol the entire episode because I had seen that her mother referred to her as that in the flashback. But then when I heard that, I did the exact same thing. I'd like a, a replace all with Flaca. And yes. now that I'm hearing this, now I have to replace it back again. It's, it's very confusing. Yes. Yeah, it's, I think... Having a, you know, we have a Marisol and a Maritza, that's already confusing, and then we call one Flaca, but there's also a Blanca. It, it's, there's a lot of names that are the same, yeah. and it's a little bit, you know, it's not like having two Cindy's. Right, <laughs> yes. So I think we're, we should hopefully all be on the same page now, but uh, yeah, this is, this is complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's start, let's go to the most you know, one of the most boring areas of the of the prison right now. We should talk a little bit about the HR drama because it really does set up pretty much everything that happens in this episode. Um, the new corporate overlords have moved in. They've 
made some capital improvements, but they've also cut everybody's hours, presumably so they don't have to pay them benefits. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I, I don't know about you guys. I have, even though I'm sort of the Mike Birbiglia, Larry Bloom envoy here, apparently, I have no idea what to feel about this character right now because he seems so lackadaisical, but matter of fact, and maybe this is Mike Birbiglia's delivery, but it just, it doesn't seem genuine to me. No, I think he might be like the most evil person in the whole show. Yeah, I think he's a little bit of a Bennett replacement. That you know, kind of the nice guy, heart of gold, with uh, but actually very, you know, definitely has evil motives. Does that mean we're, we're going to see his character uh, dancing to "My Milkshake" by Kellis in the next episode? <laughs> well, and also, who is he going to knock up? Yeah, ooh, ooh, we're playing That's like terrifying. incredibly twisted Mike Birbiglia dating game with the inmates. Yeah, that could be very true. So, I mean, he is, he is, you know, making them make panties now. So I can only imagine, you know, if Caputo does things in his office, I can only imagine what Danny is doing in his. That's so bizarre. Like, I am really confused on that, how they are now making panties. Well, there's, it is frequently, like, there are a lot of prisons that have, um, that teach their inmates some sort of trade. In fact, I have, uh, my husband and I both have shirts from this, um, prison workshop in, um, Pendleton, Oregon, where I have my aunt and uncle live, and they send us these goods that say prison blues all over them. There's this line of prison labor clothing that they sell, and it's like profit sharing among the inmates, I guess. Um, and so it's, that place has been around for like 20 years. I had prison blues stuff when I was a kid, but that is, you know, it's, it's a common business model, but I think this is a little bit, this is a little bit different. I, and I wonder if the panty company is going to trumpet that they use prison labor and it's like a progressive thing, or if it's something they sweep under the rug. Or it's at least a way to say that they don't, you know, it's a American made. Yeah. Yeah. So is this like the updated version? I know it's, it's stereotypical to say in prison that back in the day they used to like make license plates. Right. So is this basically (laughs) the updated version of that? Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) You know, if I was being cheeky, I'd like, I'd like have a line of panties that had like a license plate screen printed on them. (laughs) That would be great. Yeah, so there's a lot of speculation over the course of the episode, and I think that kind of says a lot about the fact that there is a sort of a precedent for private companies coming in and using prison labor. And, you know, in the Shawshank Redemption, that was a bad thing. And it was kind of, you know, they were exploiting the labor. But here, I don't know if that's true or if this is going to be end up being ultimately something that everybody enjoys. Well, yeah, I, I think at this point, since it was revealed at the very end of the episode, we don't know yet as to whether they're exploiting the labor. But I think it definitely is a, is a sign of things to come when Danny sort of describes the psychology of, of having that test to begin with. And, you know, their, their behind the scenes uh, method of choosing the people is just to pick 40 names at random, which is how Flacca ended up getting picked despite not actually taking the test. Right. Uh, but I think... I, it really hit an interesting thing uh, that Danny brought up to Caputo when he said that 
you know, if we make them take the test to get the job, then they're not going to blame us when they don't get it. They're going to blame themselves. And so we're starting to get a little bit into the uh, the 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 philosophy of these of this corporate these corporate higher ups that are now working on the Litchfield, which is basically to say, like, well, we don't really care about these people. We just want to make sure that we are not the ones to blame at the end of the day. Right. Very Machiavellian approach. Yeah, that's that's why I think I think I think Burbigs might actually be the person who has the most potential to be the scariest here. I mean, he's not scary in a V way, but he's definitely kind of stepping into that role as the big bad, I think. Yeah, which I mean, this I guess this, this speaks to a larger level of the show in general. Do you guys think this show needs a big bad? I think it helps. Yeah, I kind of think it does. Um, to me, it's boring when, like, the big bad is uh, just prison life in general. So it's kind of more fun if there's an antagonist. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can definitely see that. But I think, for me at least, I and I definitely enjoyed a good amount of season two. But part of the reason for me that the whole V storyline kind of went off the rails a little bit, specifically towards the end, was just because, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if it is necessary. You know, may, I I may have disagreed with you a bit, Taylor. I I, mm-hmm. I feel like there just the idea that they are contained within this environment and there's all these different personalities interacting. I feel like that's game enough for any sort of drama. I feel like you don't necessarily need to bring in someone with a big cape and top hat and twirling mustache to lord over them and unite them against a common cause. I think. Even even season one, we had Pensatuckius sort of like our villain, but we we it wasn't anything that was like she must be taken down and defeated, like it was with the V and what it is uh, might be with Danny coming up. So I'm I'm still I'm still not sure. You know, I feel like some shows do need these big villains that you need to face off against, but maybe not something as personal as Orange is the New Black. I guess my thought on that is kind of like you know how like in storytelling, it's like either there's a journey. And uh, or like a, it's like a stranger comes to town and kind of like that first season was very much like this is Piper's journey. And here are the people she's meeting on this journey. And when that kind of I don't want to say fell flat, like it was interesting, but it wasn't sustainable over years and years of a show that when the, the show is so self-contained, like there's no change of scenery. There's very little change of characters. There's not even a change of like visual composition. That uh, to kind of uh, and not that it's a less compelling story the way that you're positioning it, because I definitely think it is. But I think uh, to sustain it over many seasons, they kind of have to find a way to bring in uh, outside forces uh, to at least uh, keep people interested. If you don't have conflict coming from somewhere, I think you can't have a show about anything. But. I think the conflict doesn't necessarily have to come from the prison itself. I think that's been a conscious choice that they've made. Um, This season and part of last season when you had, like, Figaro is also kind of a big bad that season. Um, So I think think if you can engender that conflict among the inmates and find new stories to tell that push everybody forward, then you don't need it. But, you know, it can't hurt. Right. And I also don't think you're wrong, Mike, that the the conflict and especially like and uh, Jess and I have talked about this a little bit, like administrative conflict is not interesting. <laughs> to, yeah. Uh, to me. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole, uh, you know, this is 
we, we want to see less of the white collar here and more of the, the no collar stuff going on in Orange is the New Black. Very much so. Orange collar, if you will. <laughs> that would be that would be a better tribe. We needed that fourth tribe on, on that would have been White collar versus blue collar versus no collar versus the orange collar, a tribe of ex-convicts. <laughs> man, I don't know why they don't call us. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. That's, well, you know, you never know. With the way the way they're, the rate they're repeating Survivor Seasons themes nowadays, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw for, like, season 33. Yeah, or you could just have, like, Survivor the Longest Yard. <laughs> Which one, the Adam Sandler version? Yeah, either or. You know, one team is all prison inmates and one team is all prison staff. That'd be good. That'd you could get Deb Eaton back to captain one of the teams. Yeah. Yeah, or they could just do... Uh, oh, Survivor- Deb Eaton versus Richard Hatch. <laughs> Boy. Uh, they could, or they could do Survivor the Stanford Experiment and just have... Just, just like, right, uh, I'm just going to play Survivor now, guys. So uh, you, you guys are good to go. Here's a map. <laughs> Man. Yeah, Les Moonves needs to get us on the horn right away. Absolutely. All right. So over in the kitchen... Um, we got a lot of speculation about the job, and Gloria doesn't want anybody to be out of there. And Gloria's got her own problems this week, um, because she's having a little bit of a, you know, mystical person showdown. And it seems like, you know, I, Gloria doesn't want the Orishas to get involved, because if the Orishas get involved, you know, terrible things could happen at the prison. Yeah, she takes this super seriously. Yeah. And I mean, with good reason, because it sure looked like at the end of last season that Norma and Gloria kind of brought about the demise of V, maybe not quite in the same way Rosa did, but a lot of people around the prison kind of believe they have that power. Yeah, this whole idea of faith is also, and Orange is the New Black is one of those shows, it's it's probably not one of the bigger shows that resonates around uh, pervading themes throughout the course of the series, but I feel like if there was if there's one you could really pick out, I feel like Faith is one of them because even you know you have all the Santeria stuff going on. Even a couple of episodes ago, you have Angie like you know praying to, for her wish to come true, and and it did, and now she has this whole devout belief. And you have all this stuff with Pensatucky as well in the previous episode. So this is yet another uh, tenet of Faith that's talked about a lot, and especially the, the fact that now Norma, I think, is sort of not only buying into it after what happened with the bee, but now she's starting to kind of utilize it on her own. And I'm, I'm trying to to figure out personally if she's doing it for good intentions or if she does have sort of a mean streak to her and wants to do it to kind of compete with Gloria. I, we have to get a Norma flashback episode. Here's hoping this has to happen this season. I'm going to go crazy if it doesn't. Yeah, I, I definitely think we'll get some more. And I think, uh, seeing the scene between Norma and So-So was really interesting and kind of doesn't really answer the question you just posed, Mike, but um, kind of it, So-So is very clear. She's like, oh, you just sit there and people project what they want onto you. And uh, that's kind of, kind of a, I think it's the same with Gloria and it's the same with every, uh, all these, all, how she relates to everybody in the prison. Yeah. Well, this character is a trope. Um, the kind of mystical person that never talks and everybody thinks they're incredibly smart because they don't talk. Like, you know, this is a silent Bob kind of characteristic. Mm-hmm. Very true. And we've seen other people like that. And I'm trying to think of, like, there's, in particular, not to bring it all back to Adam Sandler again. There's an Adam Sandler movie where he has a, a completely one-sided conversation. He's like, oh my God, you're right. You're so smart. I, of course, I can't remember the exact reference, but 
they all blend together. So I think it's it was probably played by Rob Schneider at some point. <laughs> probably. Yeah. So it's it's a frequent thing, and I thought that Soso was kind of lampshading it a little bit, being like, "Oh yeah, you're the silent Bob of the prison because you just sit there and smile, and everybody thinks you're brilliant." Right. But it does work. So there's that. Yeah, well, you also need to remember that, like, I mean, I, assumingly, unless you come from a hoity-toity background from, like, Nikki, these people usually don't undergo therapy. They usually don't have people that they're able to talk to. Healy is supposed to <laughs> fill this role. He is not. Birdie is filling it a little bit, even though now she's also going the sort of drama therapy route, which, by the way, I absolutely uh, have loved so far. But I think that these people really don't have someone that they can just spout off what they're thinking to and and don't need to worry about any sort of consequences that might result from it. And so when you have a character like this that will never A, tell anyone else what you told them and B, won't talk back to you or argue with you or try to play devil's advocate, I think it's a perfect sounding board in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing if this ever comes to a head because it was, and again, this is this is very tropey as well. But it was very kind of very shocking when she burst into song at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Annie Golden is wonderful and has an amazing voice. Uh, and even though that was a moment that you get, I guess if you thought about it, you probably could have predicted. I feel like we're gearing up to hear from Norma again in a very literal sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I am 100% sure we will. She's gotten so much screen time and uh, a lot of attention. So if they don't do that, that's a real miss. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's go into the meaty part of the episode, uh, which is really... Really, Flocka's story, which is fascinating, and every time you think that you might have heard like every variation on this theme, the show comes back to you with something that is completely out of left field and really, really interesting. And I thought this episode was very well done in that regard. I loved this. I thought it illustrated her in such an interesting way. First character that's been relatively minor. Uh, she's been in most of the episodes, but definitely hasn't had, you know, her given her due. Um, and I just thought her crime was, like, funny and, like, smart. And it like, just showed that, like, hey, yeah, this is a smart girl. She's not, you know, she doesn't have it all figured out, obviously. And when it took such a horrible turn, uh, things didn't work out in kind of the hilarious hijink way that I thought they were going to. But uh, I loved it. I thought it really gave a ton. Unlike the Boo flashback for me, this one really gave a lot of insight into who she is as a person. I, I, I like to compare this one to all the way back in season one when Trisha had her flashback. And this is this is her whole little like Robin Hood-esque philosophy of like, I'll steal something and I'll write it down. And then once I get the money, I'll, I'll pay it back. I feel like this is a very similar type of thing. I'm like, I'm doing something bad, but I... It's not that I have good intentions behind it, but I know how, you know, how I can make things right. And, you know, she probably was able to sleep at night by saying, like, well, I'm not actually selling them drugs. They're just making themselves believe that, which is such an interesting thing, because, again, we need to remember this is also like a minimum security uh, prison. So this isn't like, you know, I don't don't think anyone has uh, committed like extreme crime. Nobody's gone on like a, a... slaughter or hit and run or anything like that so to have it makes sense to have her be put away for you know selling fake drugs to people and you know having someone accidentally choke 
chefs yeah. kill themselves because they thought they were high on the drugs at the time. So when you stumble upon things like this that are a little out of the ordinary, I think it, it's, it says a nice change of pace from what we usually see in these uh, flashbacks as to why people found themselves in Litchfield. Yeah, well, to that point, there are, I think, a couple of people that have done some really heinous things. Um, one of the things about the minimum security prison um, – is that some of the people in the minimum security prison are in for minor offenses, like dealing drugs, cheating on their taxes, um, what have you. But some of them are also people that are at the end of a longer sentence and have been moved up to minimum security after being in max and they were, you know, they were under good behavior. So they get moved into the, you know, nicer prison. And I think Claudette was one of those people. She had brutally murdered a guy that was, that had worked, um, you know, she was working for him and she spent a lot of time in Max and then moved into minimum security. So, yeah, I think Yoga Jones, too, possibly. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. she shot that kid, right? Yeah, I think so. And Red has been there for a very long time. We still don't know what exactly Red did to get herself in there. But whatever it was, it's something that, you know, would put you there for 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. which is unusual for a prison like this. So I'm not sure where we're going to go with that. But anyway, yeah, it was a lot of people that we've seen flashbacks from up to this point. You know, they very consciously committed a crime that they know was a crime. And I think Flaga's rationale is that it's, you know, people aren't buying the real drugs. So it, what is the harm in it? And exactly. Yeah. There's an episode of Freaks and Geeks that's very much like this, actually. Um, they buy a keg of near beer and throw a party. Yes. Yeah. I remember. One of the one of the better episodes and everybody is acting like they're wasted and the only person that's wasted is Bill. And is there's an episode of the honeymooners like that too, I think, where they like they like they they think it's some sort of like really strong alcohol, but it's actually not. Yeah, it it's something I think this is a time honored tradition of um, the placebo effect writ large. Yeah, and to be honest, I didn't know that was a real crime, so I learned something. Here. Yeah, I didn't yeah. either. Yeah, and she, and she was arrested by an actor from The Wire, so you could tell that it was legit. Oh man, <laughs> of all the people to get arrest to arrest you, you know? Yeah, which was I mean. I, w- I wouldn't point it out unless it was the fact that he has not appeared on TV since The Wire. So <laughs> I think it's a momentous occasion for this actor. Yeah, well, that that begs the question, um, who's the worst TV cop that could arrest you? Ice-T. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be my pick. <laughs> well, because you, you come up with some sort of, either him or David Caruso, because they'd come up with some sort of pun about yeah. the crime that you did. <laughs> yeah, and... And you'd have a hard time, like, not responding with, yeah! <laughs> and that'd get you Very in worse trouble. Yeah. So, I also, the, recur- the other recurring theme that you see in Flaka's flashbacks, and a little bit in the prison in present day, um, is that she kind of feels like she's still destined for greatness, which, you know, it's a very high schooler kind of way to feel about the world. Um, and then I, the I, ultimate irony is she does get the job and the new job is exactly the job that she was trying to escape back out in the real world. Yeah, more mom stuff. Yeah. And you, you gotta love those end credit songs, both like this and Mad Men, I feel like are two shows that really do it really well. And to hear mama said there'd be days like this, uh, yeah. is all too, all too cute. <gasps> Yeah, yeah, they really do a wonderful job with the music and all. Like, 
all season long, I've been like whipping out the Shazam every time they play the end credits because it's really been great music all all around. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and she even literally says, "That's right, I am better than you," because some mm-hmm. people are born for greatness. And womp womp. Yeah, she's young. I think that uh, it's kind of like it's kind of refreshing on some level to see. Uh, the young girls in the prison that still kind of have that drive in them that they're like, yeah, like this horrible thing happens to me, but it doesn't affect uh, my kind of sense of self-worth. I kind of, I like it. But let's contrast that with Soso because Soso last episode in this episode is totally had that drive when she came in, you know, hunger strike, I'm not going to shower. And now she's like, F this, I'm done. No, nobody's my friend. You've abandoned me, friends on the outside. I feel desperately alone and depressed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bummer. I uh, like. It's sad to see Soso fall so far. Yeah, she fell further and faster than Piper did. I think. Yeah. Well, I, Piper fell more ahead. violently. I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Piper kind of went half Oz there. <laughs> Um, yeah, and we have Soso talking to Leanne and Angie and just trying so hard to make friends and uh, really, yeah, uh, trying to connect with them on their level, I guess. Well, you would think. Soso's probably kind of a pothead out in the world. You'd think she'd be able to relate to them on the level of getting high a little bit more seamlessly, but... But, I mean, I think, I think the true, the best part of it was when she segued to, so, Walmart! Yeah. <laughs> Lots of cheap shit. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that might be for me the funniest moment of the season thus far, aside from Healy in the drama therapy episode being like Alex Voss is always like dumb bitch. <laughs> like, got me every. It's like a very office Michael Scott like moment. Yeah. yeah, he he really is shaping up to be the Michael Scott. You know, if Birbiglia is the Toby, you know, Sam Healy can be the Michael Scott. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about Healy in Red? Yeah, because I, I think Healy kind of he did a little bit better when he when he went and like started riffing on Yoga Jones. I thought that was he was actually funny at that point. Well, you've totally turned, Jess. <laughs> Healy is still I'm bad. Not, no, Healy's terrible. I'm yes. not disputing that, but you know, I I mind Healy a little bit less when he's not going off about how lesbians are the scourge of the planet. Yeah, I am, I am happy that they kind of segued the character past that, because that that was very you know, shoved into his character type from the first season onwards. So I'm happy that at least over the course of the second season when they were, you know, I forget the name of his, like, open space uh, initiative, but I'm happy they were able to kind of segue yeah. him out of that. Um, but, I, th- so I may be a little daft here, but we're to assume that Red has no sort of romantic attachment to him, right? That she's purely using him just to get back into the kitchen? Yeah, she found she found a crack and she exploited the crack, I think. Um, yeah, you're probably right. But I don't think she's above taking this as far as it needs to go. Like, how far are we talking here? I don't know. I'm really worried about this. Like, I, uh, I have Healy becoming porn stash's uh, roommate in Max. Yeah. <laughs> I, I um, tweeted earlier today uh, when I was watching this episode that my notes for this whole uh, section were just, no, don't do this. I hate this so much. <laughs> and uh, it's very, I, I don't know. Like, I get it. Like, yeah, she's 
exploiting him, but I don't like just watching it makes me super uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, well, does he? I see. I think like I watched it back a second time, and I feel like Healy is smarter than that. I think he kind of, and I don't want to sound like I'm a Healy apologist here because I don't like him much more than you do. Like mm. him a little bit more than you do, Taylor. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a point where she's like laying it on thick about the hunger and the yearning, and then he's like, "Oh, this is about the kitchen." Jesus, Red, I thought you were different. Right. So I think he gets it. I don't think it's going to work on him. Okay. So this might be the end of that tangent, and I'm sure nobody's going to be happier than you are about that. Very much. Very much. What, which would you rather have, Taylor, this or 20 Minutes of Daya and Bennett? Both <laughs> <laughs> would be really difficult for me. I, oh, man. I don't know. These these COs, man, I give me more of a Bell and O'Neill any day. Yeah. Yeah, I that. yeah. yeah. I loved Bell and O'Neill's little argument as they're coming into work about you know, about the commute and they're wearing their civilian clothes and it's like these guys, you know, give me a whole show about these guys. Yeah, I, I really now I'm I'm happy that you know, starting around episode four or so, the flashbacks started to go more towards these people that we haven't seen before. Um, because, and I, along that line, I, if we saw, we saw the Bennett flashback, I would love to see like the Bell and O'Neill flashbacks because you even got a little bit of O'Neill here talking about like, well, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to take the shorter route because I like driving along that house, those houses and seeing that there's like beauty in the world, basically outside of this <laughs> ridiculous prison that I work in. So it's, it's moments like that, that you're like, oh, this is a really interesting character that I want to find out more about, which they have done in the past with some of these ensemble member prisoners, but haven't done yet with the staff. Yeah. Like somebody throws out a throwaway line and then you build a whole episode around it in like three episodes after that. So I could see that happening. And if we get O'Neill, more of O'Neill's singing style and we get like a little bit of why he hates nuns. Yes. The Banjalele makes a return appearance. Yeah. I I'd be totally down with that. Like let him do a little, like, you know, do a little residency with side boob. I'm I'm into it. Uh, More O'Neill all around. Um, so yeah, I think I, I'm hoping that the red and Healy thing, we can put that to bed now because there's only one more place to take it. And I, to bed, which is too bad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, let's put it to bed and not take it to bed. Yes. How's that? Um, because there, there was a point where Red is really piling it on, and you can see Healy is about to go full Caputo, and <laughs> nobody wants that. It's no, bad no, enough no. when Caputo does it. So, yeah, I'm hoping... I think Healy is smarter than that. Um, and he wanted to believe more out of Red or less. I'm not sure which way that goes, but it's not... This is not the new Diet and Bennett, thank God. Yeah. So, yeah, and let's talk about the other relationship that we really don't much care about. Um, Piper and Alex. Um, they had a couple of moments this episode. A lot less Piper and Alex, so thankfully. Um, but Alex is 100% convinced that Cooper is sending somebody into the prison to kill her. And we get a little bit of fun out of that. So what do you guys make of this? Like, is, do you think this is a realistic worry or is Alex being paranoid? I mean, I'll, I'll say it happened on the wire again. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, if, if Alex is, is watching some quality television, then I guess she has every right to believe so. But I don't know. I mean, I, we've only seen Kubra through like a couple times. So I still have no idea through either primary or secondary characterization. Is he this like megalo- megalomaniacal genius that we're led to believe? Or is he just like a regular run of the mill drug dealer? 
Yeah, he's got to have a pretty big network because they, you know, they went traveling all over the world at his expense. And he had like some kind of villa in Bangkok with a giant pool. So he's got to be fairly high up on the hierarchy. But yeah, there's no way Alex doesn't watch prestige television. <laughs> yeah, it's it just something, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't surprise, or I actually kind of started thinking before this, I was like, maybe it really is Piper that is the mole, and like, and then they kind of, she started joking about it, and really rubbing Alex the wrong way, and kind of sending her into a spiral, but to me, like, that is, that would be interesting, <laughs> like, that's the most interesting thing that could happen right now, is that, like, uh, yeah, Piper was the one who uh, was meant to land Alex back in prison because Cooper told her to. Like, and I'm sad that they kind of brushed that off. That it's probably not an actual viable plot point. But as soon as I thought that that's what could be happening, I was like, oh, I'm totally reengaged in this relationship. You know, it seems like Piper was really. Like, she almost never talked to Kubra, was the sense I got. Like, yeah. That she was there as Alex's date and didn't really know the guy. So I can't imagine. She's such a main character that if that was something that was going on, we would have seen the other side of it by now. That's probably true. But I also want to say, and this is another plot point, that uh, with Nikki and the heroin and now with Tasty and the alcohol, they've bait and switched us twice with things like little things like that. So uh, I'm like, uh, I'm on edge for another bait and switch. Yeah. I just, I just wonder if that was the case though. How much would that invalidate Piper's whole motive to, you know, tell Polly and Larry to go call Davy Crockett to get Alex basically back in prison because as she put it a couple of episodes ago, she missed her. You know, I feel like that would kind of say, well, if she's working for Kubra and wants to get her back in prison, that would kind of override her whole, her bad character aspect of like, I'm a horrible person and I want to get you back in prison because I missed you. Right. I'm definitely not saying it makes sense. I'm just saying it would be interesting. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's I, true. I think it's incredibly unlikely. But Piper would have to, I think she would have to break bad in a pretty big way in order yeah. for that to be viable. Mm-hmm. Um, I I also liked the sort of fourth wall breaking with this random girl showing up that, oh, she's not new. We've just never seen her before because you know that they're going to introduce some characters that are exactly along those lines. Yes. Right. They're Nikki and Palloing them. Yeah, they're totally Nikki and Palloing them, and I don't like that. Was it also a fourth wall breaking moment when Alex says her Disney princess is Jasmine? <laughs> what? Like I was, I didn't know if that meant something, and then I was thinking, like you know how on BuzzFeed and stuff, they're like, if Orange is the New Black characters were Disney princesses, that's really a thing. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I I never, I never saw that before. Um, Let me see if I can find it, but there's a million, like that's a very popular internet trope is like reimagining Disney princesses. Yeah, that's true. I've seen that. (laughs) Yes. Um, Uh, Wow. And if that's what I, if someone uh, knows what that was actually a reference to, let me know. Because if it was BuzzFeed, then that's that's a little uh, bizarre. Yeah. Also, an an Aladdin and genie role playing scenario is not the not the sexiest, I would say. Yeah. No, I never got the sense that those two had a romantic connection. No. Well, even so, like you had to have one of them try to portray Robin Williams as a genius. So even while in <laughs> mid-coitus, you'd have to be doing like Jack Nicholson impressions and you'd have to be bouncing around the room. Yeah, well, that's 
you know, sometimes you know, people are into what they're into, Mike. That's true. I, you know, there is there is definitely a rule thirty four about. Uh, is it rule thirty? I don't remember. Yeah, the number. it's yeah. rule thirty four yeah. about about. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, genie porn on the internet. <laughs> yeah, after you're done googling the Disney princess thing, Taylor, look up the genie porn. Yeah, I, uh, I found the princesses. I'm not googling genie porn. Yeah, mine, no, just get, just get some get some Trojan viruses on your computer. Just Google some genie porn. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I should be the one doing this. I have a Mac. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not sure what that what all of that was about. We've gotten some strange Disney references this season, for sure. But what does the BuzzFeed article say, Taylor? Well, I found, um, if you just Google Orange is the New Black Disney Princesses, a million things come up, and they're uh, about a year ago, at the beginning of last season, uh, someone took all the promo posters and put them as Disney princesses. So we have, like, we have Sophia as uh, Tiana from The Princess and the Frog. We have Alex as Mulan. Uh, we have, uh, I can't tell who that is, uh, but we have, uh, we have Nikki as uh, the girl, uh, Rapunzel. Uh, oh, yeah. Red as Ariel. Yeah. Yeah, they're all there. So there is no Jasmine. So if that was a shout out, that's pretty. That's pretty on point. Yeah, and, that's super on point. Oh, okay, is, I see this. And is this Bennett as Prince Eric? Yeah, I think it's porn. Oh, stash. it's porn stash as Prince oh, porn Eric. Stash. I was gonna say they, they Bennett and Prince Eric probably have the same amount of personality. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is. I, I like uh, I like Ursula as Big Boo. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah, th- this is this is pretty sweet. I I'm a fan. Yeah, it's really cute, uh, and I I would love if that was a very direct shout out. See what you're doing to us, Piper and Alex. You're making us resort to like just talking about BuzzFeed articles instead of talking about your storyline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's more like BuzzKill articles, right? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's enough, Piper and Alex. Um, yeah. You know, any amount of Piper and Alex is enough, Piper and Alex. I'm waiting for something interesting to happen with these two to give me a reason to still care about them apart from the fact that they were the central relationship season one. But, you know, it hasn't happened yet. We'll keep hope. Yeah. Do you think they could be written off and the show would still be fine? Yeah, I think they would be fine. Um, Which, you know, that's kind of shocking because there are very few shows that can pull that off. Like, get rid of both of your principals and still have a thriving show. You know, Law & Order might be the only one I can think of that actually did that successfully. Yeah, Or I guess Law & Order. Game of Thrones tech, spoiler alert, technically, kind of, right? Kind of, I guess. I think they almost they almost tried to be the exception that proves the rule, right? So it's like, you know, every other series, you have to keep your main character the same guy, but we can just kill off anybody. Anybody can be killed. That's their, like, whole tagline, right? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, though. I feel like, uh, you know, and, and forgive me for speaking too much of the previous episodes, since I know you guys have already podcasted about them, oh, but nice. I feel like, you know, sending Nikki away and possibly loose check... Um, I think that's they're sort of sort of paving their own Game of Thrones manner of being like, well, you know, big events usually happen near the end of the season, but we're just going to start doing things like, mid, uh, you know, a quarter of the way through the season by sending all these characters away. Yeah, well, that's the Mr. Echo thing, right? Like you, you say, oh, he's totally coming back for the new season. But oh, right. Guess what? We're going to totally tarnish his character and then kill him off at the end of the episode. Yeah, I feel like between, you know, Nikki loose chick and i guess bennett i'm assuming that i'm assuming bennett will come back at some point but for now he's pretty much mia 
uh, I feel like they're just they're thinning out this ensemble. So I guess they have to start bringing in these Nicky and Paolo's. Yeah, yeah. But it's a prison, you know. You don't necessarily have to bring back a Nikki. You don't have to Nikki and Paolo somebody. Which I guess there's no reason you can't. But people are committing crimes every day and getting convicted mm-hmm. every day. We got new blood all the time. Yeah. The fresh meat and the orange jumpsuits. You know, you don't have to pretend that someone's been there all along. Although... I can see why it would sometimes be kind of funny, especially if anybody ever watched Lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about Daya, who's kind of got a little falling action this episode. Um, she's committing to giving the baby to Mama Mendez, so she can have her do-over baby. Yeah. She doesn't give an F. Yeah. It was yeah. very Juno-esque. Yeah. Very much like- so. It felt kind of empowering <laughs> on some yeah. level. Like, yeah, it's like I, she, like her, it, she, her situation with Bennett is to me like kind of it's worse than the uh, imagined situation with porn stash. <laughs> like when it, they had to pretend it was porn stash's baby. Like she had to pretend that she loved it and wanted to keep it. And now she's like, uh, no, what's, what actually happened is much more devastating to me and I am done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that baby, that's probably the best possible outcome for that baby. And also the best possible outcome for Daya. Yeah. I got to say this for me, at least as uncaptivating as the storyline may have been previously, I feel like it's, sort of grab my attention a little bit just because I think both Bennett and Daya have realized in the past few episodes that like this little fairy tale construct that they've built in their heads is not going to happen. And I'm happy that they finally freaking realized it. <laughs> um, and now, I mean, it's, I, I, I actually kind of agree with Mama Mendez here too. She's like, you know, I want to make sure that you really want to do this because there might've been, there might be the case where like once the baby comes out, Daya decides, Daya sees it changes her mind and then, then it's too late and then it has to get taken away. So I, I think that, you know, she's making a huge decision here, but I think it speaks totally towards her sort of epiphany that has happened ever since Bennett went MIA of like, well, this sort of happy ending that we've constructed for ourselves is not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. I like that. We got a little bit more Cesar as well. Right. Um, because, He's just one of these characters that there is nothing redeemable about this guy. He's just a terrible person all around, but he's so charming. Well, the thing about Cesar is that, like, there, yeah, there's, there's, it's the thing about, like, again, we talked about this with the, with the prison backstories. He's doing the worst things, but he feels like he has the best intentions behind them. Like, yeah, he thinks he should, the way to get a kid to eat his vegetables is to pull a gun on him and threaten mm-hmm. his life. So I feel like the, the thing that makes Cesar kind of like the sociopath is that he doesn't have any sort of conception that this is like anything bad. You know, he's like, you know, including, you know, telling, he seems he's very supportive of diet here. He's saying, don't blame yourself, blame Bennett. But then he also is the person that's saying, well, no, I don't want your baby. <laughs> so he's, uh, he, he, it seems like he thinks he's being the good guy, but he's doing the worst things possible. Yeah. And when people metaphorically say like, oh, like, you know, in sort of uh, a Dan Foley way, like I would kill that person. Uh, (laughs) Cesar means it. Like I think Cesar will kill Bennett before the end of this season. So I am excited for that. (laughs) Yeah. And that's almost Foley-esque in and of itself. Like I'm excited for this guy to violently murder this other guy. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you're saying Bennett has become the Dan Foley of <laughs> no, Cesar. Cesar's the Cesar. Yeah. Okay, Cesar is the Dan Foley. <laughs> I mean, he does. He does suck. He pretty much sucks at life. So yeah. life, but. You know, he believes he's a good person. Yes. And- Cesar is wrong again. Don't. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um. I hope we. I hope that the end of the. I hope that the falling action on the Dia story does not necessarily mean the falling action of the Cesar story because he is some incredibly dark comic relief. It's also interesting that we haven't seen Aleda interact with him at all. You know, is Daya going to go back to her mom and say, like, hey, I talked with Cesar? Or are they just going to say, like, this conversation never happened? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure. Yeah, it just seems like Daya is trying to find out more information. So I don't think she learned anything that would jeopardize Aleda's relationship with him. So, yeah, and she has kind of a I think she's got some ammo now, too. And it's interesting to see Daya kind of standing up for herself and taking control of the situation because up until this point, she really has done whatever anybody tells her to do. And now she's taking care of her own situation and she's decided what happens to the baby and she's having the conversations where it seemed like half the time, if anybody wanted to talk about what's going to happen to Daya, they just talk to Aleda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. She's become a really great character, so... I hope they give her something to do once this is all wrapped up. So this is the big question in terms of when, you know, Mother's Day just happened a couple of weeks ago. Do we, can we guess how far along Daya is in her pregnancy? Uh, well, she, I think it was about October when the baby was conceived. Okay. So I would imagine she is probably going to deliver I, I said it in the previous one of the previous podcasts. Um, my prediction is that she delivers that baby in the in the final episode of this season. I could yeah. I could definitely see that. I think it has to. Can you imagine a pregnancy being stretched out for four seasons? It's like carrying an elephant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like a uh, Bonnie from Family Guy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even Bonnie dropped that thing eventually. So yeah, after like eight seasons. <laughs> yeah. So I will get there. Um, and I think it really does make for, you know, births are always good season finale fodder. So I think that's where we're going to go. And it'll probably be, you know, she'll probably get stuck in an elevator and a very random character will be there to assist in the delivery and she'll have to name it after them. Danny? Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe that, that would be a good thing for Danny to do. There you go. Yeah. Just don't, don't get it on my new balances. <laughs> Uh, you know how on sitcoms, it's like when the sitcom is getting a little dry, it's like they ha- someone has a baby um, and it's supposed to like inject new life into the show. But like this, it feels like they're building to that, but like the baby will never exist on this show. Yeah. So or like maybe there'll be like growing pains and then, you know, the baby will just age rapidly. <laughs> Next season, the baby will yeah. be six years old. Yes. Well, they, well, Genji Gohan even did that on Weeds after a yeah. certain while. She's like, oh, yeah, now Nancy Botwin's pregnant. Isn't that exciting? And I, 
I think, you know, I think we've, we've probably, you guys have probably talked about this before, but I think one of the things that Jeji Cohen is able to benefit from maybe unintentionally doing weeds is that she's not allowed to move them anywhere because that was the big problem with weeds was like once they left the, the, the town of Agrestic, they're like, oh, and now the show kind of went down the tube. So I was scared for a second when, uh, when in episode two, when we found out that the prison was closing down, I'm like, oh God, they better not, they better, we better not do like an on the road season of Origins and New Black. But I'm, so I'm happy that they were able to at least avoid that route yeah they and then it's not like oh yeah it's just a different prison that's why all the walls are different color <laughs> yeah exactly yeah we're gonna send them all to college <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, orange is the new black the new class yes <laughs> they, but they this is a show where they could do that yeah i guess they could um you know we have a little like subplot like i'm surprised I guess this is a series that you stream on the internet, so it's less crucial. But I'm surprised we never got webisodes for this. Or maybe webisodes are an old thing now. Yeah, but. I, I think we, we actually talked about this on Orphan Black. I feel like it was done back in the days of like The Office and Lost. Mm-hmm. I remember Heroes did it. So maybe that was like an early 2000s thing that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and that's a shame because with a cast like this, you have infinite potential for webisodes. Like, have somebody taking a GED class and just have, like, a little replacement series in the off-season that's, like, Orange is the New Black, the GED class. And and lampshade every, like, spin-off trope ever. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess... We have hit most of the high points here. We have not really talked about Pusey's hooch stash in any deep exploration, but there's not much to be said about this. It's just, um, we've mentioned before, it turns out that Tasty's been stealing it, and it's similar to, you know, the heroin disappeared because Nikki took it. Um, I think it's hitting a lot of the same beats. Uh, for me, there there was a point, and again, this might be my daftness, but when we saw Pusey, I mean, Pusey kind of goes insane here. It's sort of her Moby Dick, her white whale, here to the point where she's like peeing on the ground. I thought first, like one second flash in my head of like, wait, is that the secret ingredient in her hooch? <laughs> Gross. That, I, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even like, I still had that thought in my head until the Tasty has that conversation, I think with Suzanne, where she's like, she's like, yeah, she's peeing around trying to like mark her territory from that squirrel. Yeah. I do not know about the, the efficacy of pee as a squirrel repellent, but I do know that cayenne pepper keeps them off because I had a container garden for a couple of years. I never peed in the container garden, but I definitely used a lot of cayenne pepper. Do you, do you believe uh, Leanne's philosophy that it was a squirrel raccoon hybrid? It seems very cockamouse to me. It yeah. is a little bit. Yeah. Um, although we do learn that Leanne out of nowhere speaks fluent German. I know that's amazing. I love that. So that's, uh, I love that. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think that's a squawcoon up there. Um, and I also think that the idea that the squirrels were getting in there that was a little flimsy to begin with because squirrels don't gently open the Ziploc bag and then close it back up <laughs> and wrap it back up in the towel and replace it. But a squawcoon. And they do have you know they you know raccoons are very agile. I guess the squawcoon could have inherited some of that, but it seems unlikely. Yeah. Do you think that this will come back, like, Pusey, this is an arc for Pusey, or is this just kind of uh, giving her something to do? I think it's just giving her something to do, because Pusey's going to be pretty bored now that the library is empty. You saw. She's making up stories about how legs can do anything that arms can. 
Yeah, I think like yeah, giving her like a mild alcohol problem seems uh, like a, a poor. Uh, well, she like had a, a bit of one last season, yeah, right? But, but I, I don't know. I'm and maybe because. I'm actually like thinking about it now. I think Pusey might be one of my favorite characters at this point, just because I loved what they did with her in season two in a way. But I mean, this is something that we've obviously dealt with drug addiction in prison, but we haven't really dealt with alcohol addiction. So as, as tropey as it may be outside of a prison show, I think it might be interesting to take a look at it, at what it's like in a prison setting, specifically because alcohol is not allowed. So she has to like kind of sneak away and, and get access to this. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot harder to hide being drunk than it is being high in a prison setting. Yes. Yeah. And we found her drunk. We found her drunk at least once already. So it it is kind of interesting to to speculate on how does one how does one even manage to keep that up? Mhm. Yeah. Yes. Right. Did we hit on everybody? Yeah, I um, think so. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to bring up one thing really quick, just about the test scene. Because um, yeah. I thought that was a, I thought that was a really fun scene, and I guess it kind of goes back to I think it was in the Mother's Day episode when they did a scene where they just flashed between a bunch of different pairings of characters for like ten seconds at a time, and they usually do this in the cafeteria. But these are these are some of the strongest scenes in Orange Is the New Black, in my opinion, just because it really shows how much uh, the ensemble really works. As, as a cast on the whole and to have, you know, flashing between, you know, the, the black girl group and then between uh, Morello talking and then between Leanne and Angie talking and then keep going back to Flocka. I thought it was, I thought it was really well directed and written. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, although Mike, I'm sure your brain went to the same place mine did when they're talking about all these true or false questions. <laughs> yes. True or false. All uh, plums are purple and all, Plums are sometimes ripe. Therefore, all things that are purple are sometimes ripe. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where I went with it. And um, I, nobody nobody except nobody except Flocka ended up glitching out. So there was that. That was good. Yeah, Flocka, maybe Flocka is a clone and we don't realize it. Yeah. Maybe, well, maybe that's Flocka and Marissa are two different clones. <laughs> <laughs> At the crossover episode. I feel like one of them would be significantly less gothy and probably coaching soccer somewhere, though. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Still yeah. selling drugs, though. <laughs> yeah, so I hope you guys have enjoyed this uh, look into episode five of season three of Orange New Black. And where can we find you find folks on the Twitter universe? You can find me at Taylor Cotter. You can find me at a Mike Bloom type. You can find me at Haymaker Hattie. You can find this fine podcast and many, many others over at postshowrecaps.com where we cover all of your scripted TV needs. Over the summer, uh, Mike and I are covering Orphan Black. We got two more episodes of that coming up. Um, actually, by the time you hear this podcast, it'll be just the finale coming up, I believe. Um, but it's been a very fun season and it's a great chance to get caught up on everything that's going on there. We've got coverage of many many other series uh, we're wrapping up game of thrones we got wayward pines um we got seinfeld we got a rewatch of the wire that mike is orchestrating so pretty much there's no excuse for you to feel like you've run out of podcasts there's that between that and all the reality show coverage rob has a website we got you covered mm-hmm. if you are subscribing to the orange is the new black feed over on itunes rate us review us it helps us out a lot um with all that in mind We hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast and we look forward to entertaining you on future ones. So thanks for tuning in. Talk to you guys later. And everyone is waiting, waiting on you.